Good morning, Lansing. It's Saturday, it's 9 a.m., and the pet experts are in the building. This is the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS and 1320WILS.com. Now, here are your hosts, Rick Pruce and Lee Cohen. Welcome, pet keepers, to this week's MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. I'm your host, Lee Cohen, here with my co-host, the pet expert himself, Mr. Rick Pruce. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Lee. How are you doing? You've been counting chipmunks in your backyard no just been looking for the giant pterodactyl to come walking through there i love those blue herons rick i gotta tell you when i see them and they come walking through there and you just see the step-by-step thing that they do it's it's funny that you mention that because we're in the middle of pond season and this is the last thing that a pond keeper one who has nice you know, precious koi and goldfish in their pond. Right. Wants to see walking through their, um, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, if you might notice, they typically would land on land. Right. And then they'll walk in, right? Right. Isn't that what you've witnessed? Yeah. And so what's interesting about them is uh, if you have a pond or water garden, um, there's a few techniques that people will use, including, you know, wrapping fishing line. You know, imagine a fishing line that's maybe 18 inches high, that's all the way around the perimeter, and you come out maybe a foot, uh, and you have like a, a foot tall. So they go to, they don't see it, uh, but it wraps all the way around your pond. Right. They land on shore, they hit that thing, and they don't know what the heck's going on. Right. And so that can actually scare them away. It's not a guarantee, you know, but especially if you don't have any shallow areas. Right. They either, they ideally want to just land on land and then walk on in. So there's a few f- efforts that you can take, but boy, I'll tell you what, they can clean out a pond like that. And if you imagine a blue heron, which might acquire the taste for a delicious, colorful little fish, right? Uh, flying overhead with very good eyesight, I'm sure. Um, and your pond happens to have these brightly colored animals well, and swimming around. So. Well, and right off our shore, it, it's funny because they just love searching there. And it's not just them. Last night, there were very large white swans that were out there, too, yeah, poking were. their head down into the water. Yeah. and Eating probably a different sort. You know, but those herons are going to find every frog they can. Yeah. They're, they're, they're a curious sort. and. You know, hopefully they spend more time in the natural waterways instead of somebody's backyard. But well, no doubt and there are other it. techniques that you can take that kind of help safeguard your koi or goldfish from them. But right. uh, but they are majestic. I mean, it is really hard, and and you certainly uh, and they're protected. You can't be shooting them. You know. No, I've I've no interest in. It. I like watching them. It's 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 a fun exercise that I go through. So, uh, but just involved with that, and also as you well know, uh, I've gotten uh, my first fish in a long time, having picked up one of your beautiful bettas that I saw that you guys released yeah. at Bruce Pets. Bunch of new ones that are out there, but I got one, and it's so funny because my wife keeps coming up to me. He's hiding. He's hiding. Something could be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I keep explaining, no, if you're new to the area, you might hide a little bit too. Yeah, there's two <laughs> There's two emotions, uh, hunger and uh, fear or Two very strong emotions in all fish. And uh, so sometimes you just need to let them calm down and relax and know that there's nothing threatening or frightening that's going to come out. Right. And then once they keep venturing out a little bit at a time and they don't get, like, swallowed up. Right. You know, sooner or later, hunger and the interest, the fact that uh, your wife's hand is the one that brings the pellets 
will make all kinds of excitement. Uh, but yeah, you've got a beautiful betta. Uh, just give a quick description of that betta. Uh, he is pearly white with red fins. And on both the back and the bottom fins. And it's funny because we have a dog who happens to be an Australian Shepherd. He's a blue Merle, and his name is Finn. So we had blue Finn, and now we've added red Finn. (laughs) And so... Well, what's what's interesting is um, the one thing that better you picked out I would comment on is absolutely breathtakingly gorgeous. But another thing that I comment about that better is it does not have very long fins. I mean, no. they're they're robust fins. They're nice fins. They're right. full fins. But they don't go long. And that's actually, you know, specifically bred for that characteristics. And and honestly, it's not a not a um, a bad trait because they don't have as much to carry around. There's much less to get frayed or, or bothered. So I think of that as a nice, hot, hearty lot. But to have such beauty, it's just a gorgeous fish. Well, You're going to have to post that on our Facebook. Well, I'm glad to be back uh, involved with fish again. But, Rick, we're going to talk this week on the show about dogs because last week cats took up the whole agenda. So we're going to jump back to dogs, and we've got with us on the air uh, our friend John Stottle, who owns uh, the Family Puppy Stores in Michigan, and he's got some great information. So that's the conversation we're going to have this this week on the Mid Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show here on 1320 WILS. We're not saying Rick and Lee are secretly animals trapped inside human bodies who keep interviewing pet experts to figure out how to escape, but it's certainly a possibility. It's the Mid Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. Back here with the Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And Rick, we have with us on the line a returning guest. It's John Stottle, who is the owner of the Family Puppy Stores in the Michigan area in Novi, Troy, and Flint. Is that right, John? That's correct. Thanks for having me. Oh, our pleasure. And you guys have been around for a long time. How many years have you been in business? Uh, it was 1998, so it's about 24, 25 years. Okay. And uh, I know that you are always heavily involved in what's going on when it comes to dogs. And I've got to imagine that this year has been just a continuation of really big growth in the area of people wanting and getting dogs. Is that uh, your situation too? You know, it's been amazing through the pandemic. um, I think I read a statistic that said uh, from March of 20 to 21, May of 21, one out of five households acquired a dog. So it's, it's just, you know, your home, uh, you're bored, the kids need something to do, it's a good time to get a dog, and of course Americans love dogs, so it's just been uh, amazing, and um, we just need to be careful, you know, make sure we have sustainability in those kind of things as we go forward. John, I want to, uh, just for, we've got the whole show today to talk about this, and I just want to back up a little bit, because I think the, the, the biggest um, important thing of getting you on is kind of uh, there's perceptions and realities. And one perception that I think I'm just coming from a day when I was born back in the, you know, 1960, went through the 60s, 70s, and 80s, 90s, where we kind of drew some kind of opinions or thought processes 
as to what having a puppy store or selling of puppies at the retail level was all about. I know you well, and I know your stores, and I know your ethics, and I know your approach to it. Could you give us kind of like a past and present kind of a uh, idea of, of maybe what the perception might be uh, as somebody walks into your store that may not have been in a pet, pet store that sells puppies, or at least your store that sells puppies, that maybe came out of the 90s or the 80s and, and, and now walks into your store? What, what is it? What is it meant to be? Boy, we don't have enough time to cover all of that, but I'll try. <laughs> well, I think in general, I, I guess the yeah. reason I brought that up is that we had uh, around here, I think they were called Dr. Pets, and uh, there was yeah. just a general network of uh, places that uh, produced puppies and then distributed them to the different vendors around the area, and there were a lot more stores, a lot less stores now. Uh, but, uh, but I like uh, what I hear every time I talk to you about how your stores run and where the puppies are coming from. And also there's a lot of legislation surrounding the, you know, running of a pet store such as yourself that kind of helps guide the overall collective to do it right, yeah. do it responsible. Can you talk at least a little bit about that? Well, you know, I've been doing it a long time. I, we've owned our own company 24 years, but I've been doing it since the 70s. I started in college uh, working at a, a local pet store and just have been blessed to be um, given the opportunity to help people fi find healthy, happy, well-socialized dogs. But you're exactly right. Things have changed drastically, really, in the in the most recent 10 to 15 years, uh, the way dogs are being housed and raised is just amazing. As a matter of fact, uh, this weekend there's a, uh, uh, a workshop at Purdue University. It's a veterinary school in Indianapolis uh, that has done some research and some given us some scientific. There's never been any scientific. How, how do you raise a dog? What's the best way to raise a dog in a, in a kennel situation? And Dr. Candace Crony, and you can find that canine care certified at Purdue, um, has come up with ways, and she's done research, about five years of research, how should a dog be raised? And is it okay for a dog to be raised uh, in a kennel, if you will? But really, the, the short of it is, uh, from where we were 20 years ago in the facilities that dogs were raised in, used to be double stacks, wire flooring, dogs never got out of the cages, uh, to today, it's like a dog park. I mean, it's just amazing, and the breeders are building facilities that look better than my bathroom. I mean, better than my house, you know, tile floors, um, uh, aluminum gates that won't rust, and uh, solid flooring. Dogs have indoor, outdoor areas, and, and beyond that, uh, an exercise area uh, we call a play yard. Uh, we're working this, matter of fact, this year I'm advancing that to be I want to call it an amusement park. I want to put structure out there the dog can play with. But the goal here is to let a dog be a dog rather than just a, a piece of livestock. And it, it's just been heartwarming for Debbie and I as the owners of the family puppy to be involved in that firsthand and really helping to raise uh, breeders up and teach them and educate them. We four years ago started a coalition called MICAW, Michigan Council for Animal Welfare in the state of Michigan, we started with about 25 people at our first seminar, and just three weeks ago we had a seminar, we had 250 people there. So we're taking uh, it to the street, if you will, to teach breeders the best uh, practices and how to raise dogs properly. Um, 
and uh, with a lot of uh, help from USDA, uh, American Cow Club, Michigan Department of Agriculture, veterinarians, um, those were all speakers at that conference, and uh, manufacturers have come aboard and have helped, and it's just been a, a real heartwarming change, transformation. You talk about a, a mode uh, or a uh, morphing, uh, and, you know, people say, well, you can't, you, there's no way. And I said, you know, technology changes every 20 minutes, much less, you know, the pet industry in the last 10 years. Um, we can do it, and we have done it. And so what people see uh, probably isn't what is reality anymore. What people see on the Internet is probably not the truth. Now, when you bring up, um, just as a simple topic that you threw out there, USDA, right? What's their involvement in the industry and, and, and what do people not know and what should they know? You know, I think the key is that USDA requires any breeder that sells to a pet store, if they ha- they're required to be licensed by USDA if they have more than four adult females on property. And includes their family dog as well. But USDA has done in the pre in the recent ten years some internal audits and really gotten even better at what they do. One of the things I like the most is that a, a breeder has to have a veterinarian of record, and they have to have what's called a program of veterinarian care. And that's kind of like if you would a reference book or the Bible that they would go to. Let's say something happens when the vet is not there, um, they could go to that, and the veterinarian has given very detailed instruction as to what to do if a dog breaks a leg or gets a cold or what have you. All their vaccination protocol has to be written in this manual that is approved by a state-licensed veterinarian. And USDA uh, oversees that and says to the breeder, okay, but you didn't do this. Your veterinarian said you should do this, and you didn't do that. That's when you get a violation or a write-out. Yeah, and inspections happen, right? Yep. So sure. if, if they're called out, they get inspected, and they, and then there's regular scheduled visits. I yeah, so. they do, and and it's sort of on, on a on a, a risk basis. You know, the breeders that are having problems, they're going to come out there more often, of course, and as often as uh, every two weeks if they need be. Um, but if a breeder's doing well and has a good track record, then they'll go on and work on the breeders that they know uh, are having struggles. So. If I was wanting to be a breeder, if, if somebody, not me, but if somebody wanted to breed dogs to make money and they read through what it requires to be USDA certified and thought, you know what, I don't want to do any of that stuff or I don't want to do some of those things or that particular element to that isn't, when they start breeding dogs, who do they sell to if they don't sell to a pet store? Yeah, well, pandemic has, of course, uh, increased that too. And many of the breeders that were selling to us, uh, and we would be the retail channel, they were kind of selling wholesale to us, are now selling retail. Uh, anybody can put up a website and sell dogs online uh, without any oversight, without anybody stepping into their facility um, and having oversight. So those bad actors that we would not buy from still have an out. They still have a place to sell their dogs, and those would be the substandard breeders that that, that we we would not buy from. They they still have a place. There's such a demand for dogs these days. I think the demand is is getting close to nine million dogs a year. People want dogs, so just because they're selling not selling through a pet store doesn't mean they can't sell. And they can sell without USD license as long as they're selling face to face, meaning the dog, 
the buyer and the breeder all in the same place at the same time. Um, the reality is that we only have about 200, maybe 225 pet stores that sell any number of dogs, which only equates to about 150,000 dogs a year. Out of the 9 million that's, that's the demand, 150,000 are coming from pet stores. That's just, we're just such a small niche, you know, in the, in the thing, but we want to try to be as best we can. So if we wanted to actually have like humane animal treatment efforts nationally, then I would think that one, with the, at least USDA being like a support network for stores that are legally required to buy from those channels, uh, we'd want to put our efforts on those areas outside of that realm, right? Uh, figure out how how we would control the behaviors and activities of those that choose not to become USDA certified. Wouldn't that be fair? You know, the hard thing is for USDA to find them. And matter of fact, even, and we didn't mention this, Michigan uh, recently, I say recently in the last 10 years, has licensed, has required anybody that has more than 15 adult females to be licensed by the state also. And the state inspects them. So if they're a larger facility, more than 15 girls, women, uh, women, that's wrong, uh, adult uh, female dogs, then they have to be licensed by the state. And even if they're selling face-to-face, they have to be licensed. So uh, Michigan has jumped in, the Department of Agriculture has jumped in uh, for the state to do that. But, um, yeah, I, 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 those that, that are not licensed don't really have any oversight. There's just no, um, no big uh, arm of the law, if you will. And I don't want to say that, that that's bad. It's good because, you know, they have regulations that they have to abide by. Okay. Now, John, when it comes to that oversight, what that tells me is that the cost of breeding and raising dogs goes up and probably the sell price tends to go up right along with that increase. My frustration is I'm wondering, doesn't that compel even more people to want to jump into the dog breeding business and get involved with it in spite of all those costs? Yeah, again, that, that's the hard thing is anybody can start up a, a breeding facility um, uh, until they you realize they're in violation of the law. Um, you know, they might not know that. And a lot of people that we talk to, matter of fact, in the Michigan area, as we teach and educate, you know, many of the people who are raising dogs didn't know there was a law, didn't know that they were uh, breaking the law. So they can because they see this as a moneymaker, and it, it can be. But, you, you know, if you're doing it right, you're not making a ton of money. You're doing it because you love dogs and you want to help people find dogs. That's how that's why we do it. But you're exactly right. Prices have gone up. When we started requiring breeders to do exercise yards and uh, solid flooring and, and get the dogs off of wire uh, and give better veteran care, better health, um, better food quality uh, of nutrition, we had to raise the prices of dogs. We we had to pay them more, or we chose to pay them more. But that means, as a retailer, then of course the retail price is going to go up too. It's it's all relative. Um, you know, if we pay more for a dog, we're going to have to sell it for more. Well, John, um, you and I both uh, uh, are active in. Uh, it's now referred to as. Uh, Pet Advocacy Network, um, I believe is the new letters. We used to be PJAC, and you're on on a board, and I'm on a board. 
When we come back, I'd like to bring that up because bottom line is that all the energy that I always hear about from a, from a, the let's pass legislation tends to be counterproductive because most of the legislations that I hear about, and maybe because it's affecting our industry, is to pretty much outlaw the pet store that sells a dog. You know, so if we're looking for, you know, dogs to be protected and puppies to be protected in some form or another, it seems like of all the different avenues that we have to look at, you know, having a store that has to do things on the up and up would be the last one we want to pick up. So we need to come back to that uh, after our break. And Rick, it'd be more than just dogs too. You, as you know, fish, small animals and all. We're talking this morning with John Stottle, who is the owner of the family puppy. And we'll be back right after the break on the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. From the studios at a nice farm upstate, it's the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show with Rick Cruz and Lee Cohen. It's 9.35 and we're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And we're talking this morning with John Stottle, who is the owner of three The Family Puppy Stores in Michigan. And, John, before the break, Rick alluded to the fact that, like him, you are involved in a number of these, for lack of a better term, oversight-type organizations that are looking at and trying to figure out the best way to do an industry. And why don't you share with our listeners what are the things that you guys are talking about in these various groups that you're participating in? Sure. I was just elected this year to what was called PJAC, Pet Industry Joint Advisory Council. Now it's called, we changed the name after 50 years of being in operation and, and trying to help protect pets in the home. Um, we changed the name to Pet Advocacy Network. And our goal is to fight any legislation um, that comes along that would would stop the right of people to own pets, raise and own pets. Now, we want to be very careful, and we want to raise them correctly and right and safely and humanely and all of that. And we, we do are happy to support bills that, that encourage that um, and raise the standards. But uh, I think uh, the network uh, will fight thousands of bills every year. We're pretty much at the end of session this year, um, but uh, mostly uh, the animal rights movement pushes uh, bans on what what we call pet store bans, where they they just preclude pet stores from being brick and mortar pet stores from being able to sell dogs, cats, or rabbits. And um, matter of fact, in Michigan, there's been some push. Dogs, cats, rabbits, um, uh, large reptiles, and long-lived birds. That's called the Humane Acquisition Act, and they don't think pet stores should be selling those those type of. Well, if, if, if the goal is to stop bad actors and bad breeders, just knocking out pet stores, which there are very few of us left, is not necessarily going to get them to where they need to be. And that's the message we're trying to tell lawmakers is. Let's do some real uh, regis- regulations and, and make some some things that will make a difference. Yeah, like uh, in your mention, uh, and if we looked at the numbers, there's you know pet stores represent a small percentage of those puppies that are being sold. Um, 
by measure. Um, they're 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 being, you know. But the idea to, to actually then focus on what eliminating pet stores from selling them doesn't make any sense because it's the only, you know, let's have it in in wide open the right. the view. You know, there there's no secrecy. You know, it, your books right. are open. Uh, the the people that sell to you are required to be licensed. Um, you know, why would you, with so many, what's, what's the overall number of dogs that are, uh, you know, basically being acquired every year? Uh, you know, it kind of, it's hard number to guesstimate, but you can take the population, you can extrapolate and say, you know, X number of dogs, uh, will pass away every year. And so therefore, you know, we know what the number is. We, uh, the, the number of dogs in homes in America is 70, 60, I don't know, 69 to 75 million dogs. Uh, I think it was um, uh, 76 million households out of, we have like 130 million households in the United States. So we're at about 60% of homes in the United States have a dog, at least one dog. And we're, America, of course, is by far leading that. I mean, uh, there's not any other country, you know, close to that percentage of dogs in homes. So the supply uh, is a problem. We just don't have, if the number is 8 million or 9 million, uh, shelters say they take in 3 million dogs and cats a year, all shelters all over the United States. Okay, well, wait a minute. We need 9 million and shelters only take in 3 million it's not that hard to do the math. Um, where do the other dogs come from? Well, and that's well, the problem. In fact, uh, the perception might be here in Michigan that if you're going to adopt a, a dog, it's it's going to be, you know, for the average person, not those that kind of learn. I mean, we get uh, the Maine Society on our show regularly, and, and it, it's, they're not shy about it. They, they bring puppies from... Yep other states. Uh, it's just that I think the general populace that isn't in the, the avenue of, uh, of knowledge that, the, for the, you know, where, where these puppies come from are under the perception that they would all come from our local community because we are overpopulated with puppies, right? Or dogs, dogs in general. And, and, yeah. and well, dogs, what's the reality? Yeah. What's, what's the reality? Well, that's, that's the message that they, they spew out. And I, I want to be careful not to uh, you know, hammer shelters and rescues because there are many of them that do good work, great yeah. work, and we need them. But again, they can't they can't fill the supply or they can't fill the demand uh, because they don't have enough. So they're bringing dogs from the south, and it's purported that southern states still have uh, stray dogs roam in the streets. Uh, the North, we do not. And um, so they're bringing dogs from the South. Well, we believe that those dogs are not coming necessarily all from the South. Well, they come from the South, but they're coming through the Mexican border uh, from many, many foreign countries. And CDC has tracked that. In fact, in 2012, they tracked over a million dogs coming into the United States. And uh, that was only out of nine ports. I think we have 130 ports. They only, they only watch nine of them. And they, they tracked over a million. So what is the real number? We think it might be two, three, four, five million. I mean, how do you get to the nine, nine million dogs uh, as a demand? <clears throat> it has to come from somewhere. <clears throat> so, um, you know, when you do the math, you, you, your eyes kind of open. 
okay, that makes sense. And if shelters in Michigan are bringing dogs from the south, where are those dogs coming from? And what do we do to, to keep uh, the supply or the demand, uh, you know, kind of equilibrium balanced? John, it seems like one of the arguments made by a lot of people about the selling of puppies in pet stores is that they think the adoption method should be the the first approach that people take. But it strikes me that there's a misperception because I can be in one part of the country and lo and behold, there are a lot of shelter dogs. And frankly, there isn't as much demand. But what people aren't understanding is that in other parts of the country, the demand way outstrips the supply. And now where where do people go to get them? Because they're not breeding dogs inside of these shelters. They're merely helping the dogs that are needing help. And that varies from place to place. Yeah. Uh, again, Bruce, it, it would take us you know, two or three segments to to cover all of this, but there is there is a research paper, uh, a study. It's called uh, "How Outdated Perceptions Have Reshaped Dog Marketplace," and it was done uh, from a third genealogy uh, clinical group of people, um, and uh, was uh, peer reviewed. And a manuscript was published uh, in two thousand September of two thousand nineteen. You can find it. Just how outdated perceptions have reshaped dog marketplace, and the reality is that. Their study proved that people believe that dogs that they adopt, and 85% of dogs that are acquired uh, in the United States, their study said that 85% of dogs acquired were acquired through a shelter or rescue in the United States. Okay, but if they're thinking that those are stray dogs, and we believe that they're stray dogs, I haven't seen a dog catcher. I mean, <laughs> you guys were a little bit older than most people that are listening, maybe. But I remember years dog catchers running on the streets, you know, with nets and catching dogs and these cartoons and stuff would talk about it. When was the last time you saw a dog catcher? I mean, we just don't have stray dogs. Anymore. We've, we've spayed and neutered. 85% of dogs are spayed and neutered in the United States. So we don't have the problem that we had 30, 40 years ago where the shelter had a mission. They've lost their mission. They've, they've accomplished their mission. You know, they've got rid of stray dogs. And so now they have to still have the demand filled, and so they're bringing in dogs from other places, including foreign countries. And I think it's just ridiculous that dogs are being bred in foreign countries to fulfill the demand for the United States. Well, yeah, and and I don't want to, you know, the reality is I don't know what the truths are um, until all papers are open and, you know, all all channels are are discovered and there's a, a full viewing of that. I don't want to suggest that, you know, for instance, our local humane society is getting puppies from outside of our state for bad reasons. I I think that realistically until the United States is, you know, kind of free of the stray animal, um, you know, whatever the the initial mission is, uh, you know, all all, all the power to them. Uh, Let's let's get these into, uh, you know, uh, the humane society and, and, and make good things happen. But... I think the reality is that just as much effort that we would have here in Michigan at keeping stray dogs off, there should be just as much effort to find out why that's a problem down south, solve that problem, and then, you know, let's let's see everything that's happening. Let's try to understand, you know, 
are are the dogs for this particular humane society coming in from overseas, or are they truly stray dogs that are that are overpopulated? And if that's the case, then all 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 be good for it. But you're never going to find that out unless there's you know essentially as much exposure to that information and understanding of where these things are coming from and trying to understand why these animals are coming in from these ports and where they're going. There should be some trailing of that. And how does that happen? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. And that's what we in the pet community, not just pet stores, but show breeders, casual breeders want to know that. We want to know where are these dogs come from. You know, the shelter, uh, and, and it's usually rescue. It's not shelter. Shelter usually is a municipality-driven, uh, government-funded you know operation. But it's the independent rescues that we believe are are the majority of the problem, and importing dogs uh, by the thousands. Well, I'm, um, I'm glad you clear, cleared that up. I think that's an important topic and an important issue. But we need to take a break. Um, so we're going to come back and f- carry on the conversation. Great. We're talking this morning with John Stottle from The Family Puppy, and we'll be back right here on 1320 WILS. Rick Bruce and Lee Cohen had to step out to go water some fire hydrants, but they're back now on the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. We're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show and we've been talking this morning with John Stottle, who is the owner of the three family puppy stores in Michigan. And John, before the break, we were talking all about uh, the dogs and uh, how where they come from and how people have a right to know the origin of their dog. Can you elaborate a little bit about that? I do think that, I mean, they require pet stores to give out, and some we would do it anyway, give out the name of the breeder and the address, Those kind, maybe not the address, but, you know, tell them where it originated from. And I think that uh, owners uh, have the right to know that. Uh, we're trying to get at that. You know, we talked a little bit about importation, and we, we know the CDC tracked it in 2012, there is a bill that's uh, in the works right now was was um, was entered into Congress uh, by um, oh I, I'm trying to think of his name um, Schrader uh, Rep- Representative Schrader and Representative Johnson um, last year and uh, trying to get some facts and figures on the importation of dogs and where they're coming from. And so uh, you might not know, but uh, about a year ago, CDC locked down importation of all dogs uh, from a number of different countries that had uh, have not eradicated rabies. We've eradicated rabies in the United States, thankfully, about 15, 20 years ago. But there have been since 2015 uh, four known cases of uh, dogs that were imported for rescue that had rabies. And uh, the dog was eventually either died or euthanized, and they're documented. And uh, so that's how CDC got involved, because it's public health. So uh, we believe that if they shut down, uh, I think it's uh, 109 countries that are banned. Out of 195 countries in in the world, 109 countries do have a rabies problem. And uh, we need to be careful to be importing dogs, not only rabies, but different illnesses and diseases that we have in the United States because we're such a well-rounded veterinary community 
we've eradicated or controlled those kind of things, whereas other countries, as you can imagine, are not. So that bill is, is going, is we're, we're trying to get that into the Farm Bill of 2023. There is support on both sides of the aisle. I think there are 20, 21 co-sponsors on the bill, both Democrat and Republican, to say we believe that USDA should have the uh, oversight of dogs coming in the United States. And in the bill, it says um, that it should talk about the welfare of the dog as it transports, but also where it's coming from and has it been checked by a licensed veterinarian and um, what do we do to track that and make sure that that's right. It's, uh, they're also saying that it should have a, uh, a microchip because there's a lot of falsification on paperwork, but a microchip makes it a little bit more harder to uh, to falsify documents, health certificates, and things like that. So we're excited about that. We want everybody to contact your representatives, uh, Senators uh, Stabenow uh, and uh, Gary Peters, uh, and, and tell them to co-sponsor this bill, because we really need to know uh, what's coming in, you know, and uh, and where it's coming from, and, and the ones that do get in, um, that they're they're healthy and uh, they're not going to cause problems in in both people and dogs you know that we have in the United States. Now uh, a different question, John, that we've not really talked about, but I'm curious to find out from you because of the fact that you do sell multiple breeds of puppies. Which breeds are increasing in popularity and in price, and which breeds are kind of diminishing in popularity and, frankly, maybe even reaching a point where you have to look at extinction as as a concern? Uh, where does that stand? Yeah, you know, here we are Americans. You know, we're kind of a disposable society, right? And I'm not saying the dogs are disposable, but... We get we want to pick and choose. Uh, there are over a hundred breeds that the AKC recognizes, um, but many of them, uh, and even many of them uh, that that uh, are good dogs, we choose not to sell because they might not be good family friendly dogs. And we only choose breeds that we feel can be trained easily, don't have a lot of health issues, and whatever. Um, but uh, to answer your question, Lee, um, I think. Mixed breed dogs are on the rise. Um, we still sell uh, a good portion of purebred dogs. Uh, probably 60% of our dogs are purebred that we sell daily, and 40% would be crossbreeds. And we do, for, most, for the most part, mostly first-generation crosses. The big craze, of course, is the doodles and golden doodles and newfie poos and uh, uh, Aussie poos. Um, you know, those crossbreeds, because people love the golden because of its personality, but don't necessarily want the hair all over their couch. So by breeding that with a poodle, you hopefully get a, you will get a, a, a curlier coat that's more of the poodle coat, and you get the good, hopefully you would get the good temperament of the, of the golden and the non-shedding of the poodle, and so people like that. And so you'll see, as you see people walk under dogs, you'll see a lot of doodles, you know, gold doodles, um, and all of that, uh, kind of a medium-sized dog that's a curly coat. Um, now, some people say that, you know, you could get the best, the worst of both breeds. That's true. You know, you could. 
and um, and you work towards uh, uh, getting the better characteristics as you outcross and, and try to bring in other breeds. But I would say probably the doodle craze is 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 the biggest thing. I mean, it used to be cockapoos and peekapoos, you know, back in the fifties. You know, we've had crossbreeds forever and ever, but yeah. now we have a lot more. You know, I was thinking when you said that um, people that come in the store that you're know, showing off their puppies. Uh, from where they get them, I don't know, and there'll be a combination of a breed that I've never heard of, and I'm like, okay, but they've somehow yeah. got it down as to what that's called. Um, and I would say that from our conversation earlier and understanding kind of the, the one, 80% of the dogs are spayed or neutered, and two, right. there tends to be uh, a um, uh, kind of a, you know, almost a, a stain against a, even a registered breed or dog breeding in general. There tends to be some force out there against that. It's got to put somewhat of a, a concern or a restriction of genetic diversity and, and possibilities as far as different breeds. Yeah, I agree. And, and we need to know, you know, how are we going to keep it going? I think one of the out of that study that that I cited earlier, uh, how outdated perceptions have uh, reshaped the dog market. Police, their conclusion was that uh, if these trends continue, Americans may someday find uh, carefully produced and socialized well puppies, as I'm reading it, are are rarely available uh, from U.S. sources, and and that that scares me. If if the if the if the United States keeps growing the way it's going, and we keep importing dogs, and it takes over that supply uh, and the demand, um, what's going to happen to the purpose-bred dogs? And we want purpose-bred dogs. We want a dog. If, if we're a, a running family, uh, we want a dog that will run with us. But if we're a couch potato family, we want a dog that will just sit on our lap, like a like a Cavalier or a Maltese. And so, purpose-bred dogs are important. And uh, we need to make sure that we hold on to that. And that's, uh, that's what the American Kennel Club has done for over 135 years. Purpose bred. It's bred for a purpose so that we can, we can match that dog with our lifestyle. And that's, that, I think, is the, the thing we need to hold on to and, and make sure we keep that you know, above board. The first thing in our, in our processes of, uh, of what sourcing happens with dogs. Well, John, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. As always, it's a great conversation. We've been speaking with John Stottle from the Family Puppy Stores in Michigan. Uh, but unfortunately, we are out of time for this week. But the good news is we will be back next weekend where we'll have another great conversation here on the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. In the meantime, all of you, please remember that it's hot outside. So think about your pets and take good care of your pets. Have a great week, everybody. We'll talk again next weekend.